Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Manuka Sunday podcast. I'm Mel, your host and the founder of Manuka Sunday Creative. And today we are talking about growing a team. I actually brought this up in the episode, but I've had many people reach out to me in the past few months just saying like, wondering how I'm doing, wondering how I'm growing a team, building their own team, the struggles that come along with it. And I found it very cool that this community has been kind of in the same growth phase as I've been, and we're kind of doing it together. I mean, there's so many growth learning curves that come with hiring, being a boss, being a good leader, all of those things. And I find that it really tests your organization skills, your trust, your accountability. And of course, you just kind of overthink, well, I kind of overthink if I'm a good leader or not. And I think like that's the main goal for me, honestly, and I'm sure a ton of you while growing a team, you want to be a great leader. You want to have this culture within your company that you're building that is really strong and people want to work for. So that is where today's guest comes in. Michelle Falcon is the founder of Brasa Peruvian, a modern Peruvian fast casual restaurant that is currently spreading like wildfire across Toronto and has even made a name for itself in New York as they have a little pop-up over there. Michelle is also the author of the book People First Culture, Build a Lasting Company by Shifting Your Focus from Profits to People. I met Michelle when I was brought into a hospitality team. Uh, at the time, I was just serving and opening up a new restaurant in Toronto here. And he was actually the first person that I sat down with to have a talk and an interview, I guess, for my marketing role that has taught me so much of what I do now. And we talk about it a little bit in the episode, but I could not, I, I will never forget the hiring process with this company. It just shows that when you're putting focus on the hiring and you know exactly who the people that you want to bring in are it can grow such a great culture such a great morale for the team and in the end scale because you have people that really want to fight for you as this is such a huge goal for me and manuka sunday creative and just the future of what i'm building i reached out to michelle to have this conversation because i felt like he could bring some really great insight to this community so for this episode we dive into the importance of building company values and how it's more important than just throwing them up on the wall for buzzy words and followers to see when you post about it. We talk about his tips on hiring, firing, and building a strong interview process. We talk about leadership skills, mistakes when hiring, and why building a team that believes in the culture is crucial for scaling your business. So with that, I hope this episode really brings any enlightenment to your hiring process and makes it a little bit easier on you. If it does, please feel free to like, share, subscribe, and review, send to a friend, whatever. It helps the podcast so much. So yeah, let's dive into it. Enjoy this conversation with Michelle Falcon on People First Culture, the key to sustainable company growth. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Manuka Sunday podcast. My absolute pleasure. I'm excited. Awesome. I have selfishly been wanting to talk to you because one, my business has been in a growth phase for a little bit now and I've been hiring freelancers. I've been hiring team members. I It's a little bit all over the place, but I do feel like in the next six months or so that I'm going to really see starting to build that company culture and I feel like there's no one better to talk to the talk to about this topic than you. I also had 
a bunch of people, like multiple people messaged me in the past month saying, how do I hire a team member? I need to hire my first team member. I feel like my community is kind of at that growth phase with me almost. So I think this would be a really great chat to talk about kind of how you got into the whole world of building cultures in companies. One, I would love to chat about Brasa and then also your book. Let's do it. I have had a very unconventional career that's seen many twists and turns. And it started in probably the least glamorous industry that one could think of, depending on where your listeners are, where they reside. If they are in North America or Australia, then you likely have seen these little blue trucks driving on the road and on the side of these trucks, it says 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And what this company does, it's like they're the FedEx of junk removal, which I probably could use today because I'm moving. But you call them and then they get rid of stuff for you. As simple as that. But what separates them from their competitors is that their company culture allows them to have high-performing team members. Those high-performing team members show up to work. They're efficient. Maybe you only need three people instead of five to do the task, making your business more profitable. And these high-performing individuals provide a better customer experience. And then your customers renew their contracts or they'll buy again this year or they'll spend more on the transaction. And then at the very end of it, you have a profitable business. That was my first lesson in 2007 is when I joined the company. I left business school because I'm not an academic. I don't say it proudly. It's just the fact of the matter. I joined the company because I thought, I want to learn entrepreneurship. At the time, 1-800-GOT-JUNK was the company to work for in Vancouver, where I was living, them and Lululemon. So I joined them, learned how much company culture actually drives the business forward. Their slogan is, it's all about people. And they won the best workplace in Canada in 2007. And I got to see that firsthand. Like, how do you hire for company culture? How do you fire people that aren't living within your culture? And so much more. And it's, it seems like a platitude, like it's all about the people or core values, just things that you depot on your wall. And you're like, all right, I'm done. I built my culture. That's probably step like 1.1 of this entire path. But these companies that are doing it now, whether it's 1-800-GOT-JUNK or companies like Majuri, the jewelry company who have a very strong company culture or Brass Approving Kitchen, your culture is only as strong as how often you reinforce it. Because too many people read a Forbes magazine article and says, you should have core values. And then they put together four things really quickly and then that's all they do and say, yeah, we have a strong culture. So I have a contrarian approach to building cultures as well. It doesn't have to just be all fluffy and beanbag chairs and beer on Fridays. So anybody, whether you're hiring your first employee or your hundredth or your one thousandth, you're going to need to build your culture from the beginning. So anybody listening who's just starting, 
it's an exciting time and it's an advantageous start now. Okay. So I completely agree with what you were saying about the core values. And I actually wanted to bring this up with you because it's something that just, I almost feel like it's turned into another one of those buzzwords that you're saying like, what are your core values? And especially in like marketing and social media, you see those core values plastered all over core content posts and things like that. I personally saw what you guys did at Honeycomb and how you implemented those core values throughout every single step of the process, whether it's hiring, whether it's, I was literally, I tell people about this all the time that in my first interview, I was asked what I resonate most with out of all the five core values that you guys had. And that was such a cool part of the interview process and just like how you get to know the people. I would love for you to expand on that and just say, to talk about why your core values should live throughout your entire company and how it's different than just exactly what you said, plastering it up on a wall. Yeah. Let me pose a question back to you to contextualize it. Tell me three reasons why you love Joey and are married to him. Oh my gosh. Putting me on the spot. (laughs) Just one, right? Like I'll riff with you. He's loyal. Yes. He's funny. Yes. Kind. Yeah, I've met him once and that that is how he came across to me. That is what you were looking for with within somebody to spend your life with. Now, if you're to translate that into the workplace and the culture you're trying to build, there's similar like pillars and attributes of people that you want to attract to your company, but they should also repel people that shouldn't be within your company. So at Honeycomb, I still remember them, Celebration, Ownership, Foresight, Integrity, Humility. I created those with Brandon and Maddie and Miles at the time. And at Brass Approving Kitchen, my newest brand, our values are employee-obsessed, experience-driven, performance and responsibility, and build the best teams to win. I can recite those like in a moment's notice. And my expectation is that everybody in our company can do so when I ask them, because how are we going to build something together if we don't know what we're trying to build? And like we've already referenced, core values can be buzzwords. It took me literally one year to come up with our values for Brass Brewing Kitchen, our mission and our vision. And it's not because I didn't know how to do it. It's because partially because of the pandemic, I had a lot of time. So I, <laughs> I, I was on pause from opening my latest restaurant brand, but I just wanted to make sure it was going to be something that I would still admire and revere 13 years after. So what I did was I took a notebook and this might sound a little fluffy and kumbaya, but I do my best thinking when I'm outdoors. I, my creative thinking is like when I'm walking And I would bring my notebook and I would just scribble stuff. Just like, what am I trying to build? Who am I trying to build it with? What do I want to to be proud of? And eventually, after pages and pages of notes, I distilled everything down to four values. And now, with that's the starting point. Like, I I love our values because it really speaks to me. Performance and responsibility. Every single person that we hire and we employ has to perform and have to be very responsible to their duties and KPIs and their key objectives. 
and we hired for this. So we, during the interview process, and like you said, you witnessed that honeycomb, we will ask interview questions based off of these values to see if these the individuals that we're interviewing are going to fit within the culture that we've created. And after we hire them, it continues on. I don't know uh, if you remember at Honeycomb, often at huddle or at pre-shift, they would talk about a specific core value that they wanted to focus on that evening during service. And we do the same at Brasa. It's like you can't escape it. And we will remove people who aren't cut from this cloth or if they start slipping up a little bit, right? Experience driven for us at Brasa is that we want every single person who interacts with our brand to be given a phenomenal experience, whether that's a paying customer, a team member of ours, our lawyer, our suppliers, like literally everyone. So if you're like, before you make your first hire, you have to determine what are you trying to attract? And to do that, you have to figure out what the values of your company are. Like, what are you going to stand for and what is non-negotiable? There's a couple of things that I wanted to dive into. So one, going back to the interview process, would you say for somebody that's hiring their first, maybe it's an assistant, maybe it's just someone to run ops or anything like that, their first hire, what would you give as an advice for building out like that interview process or even just like a quick couple of questions that you find can really nail down somebody that would fit a company culture? The most underutilized asset in business, and I'm not exaggerating, and I truly believe this, is the job description. The job description is the wedding invitation to your company. It's the first impression people see in a very crowded environment. Look at Indeed. It's so crowded with job description, job descriptions that all look the same. So spend a lot of time on your job description. I would even go like at Brasso, we hired a copywriter so that the words could dance. Again, pardon me, it it might sound a little fluffy, but like we wanted it to really excite people. We wanted it to tell a story. We didn't want it to be just so black and white and boring like everything else. We made it very robust as well. We preemptively answered people's questions. We included videos of people within our company just saying, this is what it's like to work here. And I'm in one of the videos as well. And I candidly say, if you have these qualities, don't work here. If you're a rude person, don't apply. Like we only hire kind people. And it's been brought up many times and people have said, I like the honesty, but spend a lot of time with that job description and then read it and ask yourself, Would I get excited about reading this? And the the good part of it being robust is it's going to repel lazy people. Our job description is six pages, and it includes three videos in total, which are 30 minutes. So you would think there's no way somebody's going to read that. The best people will. You've probably heard this, Mel, but my industry, I'm in fast, casual restaurants. And during the pandemic, what was the narrative? The narrative was... Nobody wants to work anymore, right? Everybody's just on, I'm forgetting what that government subsidy. The EI. Yeah. Nobody wants to work this and that. Well, nobody wants to work for you. 
and not to be rude, but like you pay minimum wage. No, no, people don't want to work for poor leaders. And we get a thousand applicants a month in an industry where you'd be happy if you got five applicants in a week. It was contrary in this long six page job description. And I'm not recommending that everybody has to make it six pages, but read it, share it with somebody and say, is this exciting? Does this sound different? So start there and be very stubborn with the people that you hire, right? You have intuition for a reason. And the worst time to hire is when you're pressed for somebody. That was one of my questions coming up, actually. (laughs) Wait, figure out, maybe you need to ask that client to onboard them in two weeks, not right away, whatever you have to do, because trust me, you're just going to undo it. You're going to hire somebody, you're going to train them, you're going to offboard them. And at the end of the day, if you did do that, it's actually going to be more work for you than being stubborn and patient. And it's so much time. Yeah. And how frustrating, demoralizing. Yeah. I tell my team, so we've got about 50 employees and I tell my team, this is like a little house party. It's growing, right? We started off with four people and it's growing and we got to protect the house is what I'm saying. Think of that curated housewarming party that you host. You don't invite anybody. You don't allow anybody to come in. And our recruiter is like the security at the door. Right? Really analyzing everybody that shows up to the party. And we're very stubborn, right? We get, again, we get a thousand applicants a month. We hire maybe two people a month. So one would think, wow, that's a waste of time. It's not, right? And we're always hiring, by the way, because I always think you should be seeing what talent is available. Because mm-hmm. one of our core values is build the best teams to win. So we're always looking for the best people who may not be employed by us right now. I think that's a great tip. I also think that going back to that dinner or the house party idea, I love that so much. It's actually something that we do in every one of our strategy sessions with whether it's a branding client or a new website or social media, whatever it is. We always ask them, like, who's coming to your dinner party? If you had six seats, what are the type of people that are coming there? Who do you want there? Who do you not want there? And everything like that. So I think that goes so fluidly throughout all of those core values and even just like on the branding side, the aesthetic. And it's just, it all plays a role because one, when you walk into a restaurant and you meet somebody that is your type of tribe or you resonate with is a kind person, (laughs) it will make you come back and it will make you talk about it. So I think, of course, it's going to go so much further when you have somebody that really lives and breathes that. I love that. Yeah, I like that question. I think I might use it. But one question that I, oh, and I do give the candidates interview questions beforehand. So I give them some pre-read information because interviewing is like a bizarre phenomenon in the traditional sense. It's I'm going to interrogate you and psychoanalyze you and read your body language. And at the end of it, I'm going to decide whether I want you to join us. That's not natural. So I don't want people to fail on the interview. I'm having a conversation with you and I want them to be successful. So I give them the interview questions ahead of time. Now, if somebody doesn't come prepared, I know that's all I need to know. 
right? Because they didn't put the effort in. And one of the interview questions that I've started asking recently is what's an unbecoming quality that I'm going to learn about you in the next 90 days if you were to be hired? Because everybody, including the interviewer, puts their best foot forward. Everybody's behaving. I call them professional interviewers. They show up, they crush the interview, they join your company, and then they start settling in to who they really are. Oh, wow. That person has a temper. How was I supposed to find that out in the interview process? And I actually answer the question first to lighten the mood a little bit. And I'm honest with people. I say, I can be irritable when certain things aren't done. And that irritability can turn into a condescending tone. I do not like it about myself, but I'm working on it. And I hope you never hear that condescending tone, but I just wanted to let you know now, just that honesty. You hear some good answers, but then you'll hear somebody say, I work too hard. I was going to ask, how often do you get the honest answer? Yeah, not very often. No, 25% of the time, but I don't let them get away with, I work too hard. I say, I've been like, I don't like that answer. Dig deeper. Do you have a temper? Tell me, because isn't it like dating as well too? You on that first date? It's great. The second date's great. Third date, oh, they were rude to that person at the grocery store. Yeah. Noted. So it's exactly, I've been trumpeting this message for a while. We need to start behaving in the workplace and building relationships with our peers and colleagues the same way that we build relationships in our personal lives. Because there's commonality, right? Like I'm, I've been with Sophia for seven years. Why? Because we share similar values and many other reasons. And we meet halfway, right? I do one, two, three. She does A, B, C. And we, we meet halfway. And isn't that the same as like teams, right? You played sports, Mel. Mm-hmm. You played volleyball, didn't you? Yeah. So you got a set. Right. And then what is it? Bump, set, spike, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if one person doesn't show up to work that day? The analogy often people say, we're like a family. No, you're not. You're not like a family. Families are bizarre. It's blood. You can't fire your brother. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe you have that delinquent cousin. I know. It's actually funny. I've always hated that term because yeah. Yeah. I went into coming from the, an athlete world. It's so different. It's like, no, you're together and you have to make it work rather than like it's and it all also brings in the same type of people. Even from university to university, you have a different vibe from every single team and that becomes your family because you're so alike. You have that commonalities and like you're doing everything for each other, too. Yeah. And the comparison that I used to like, we perform like a championship winning sports team. And I like that, right? Because I play sports and it resonates with me. But the thing that I've been focusing on the most actually is we're like Cirque du Soleil. And these acrobats all have to bring their A game or else somebody could get hurt. The whole show is ruined, right? Think of a hockey team. One player can have a bad game and they still might win. The search of slaves, somebody doesn't show up, like people could get hurt, right? And of course, the performance ruined. But the thing that I really like about the Cirque du Soleil analogy within the workplace and working with peers and colleagues, contractors or consultants is everybody's nameless in the Cirque du Soleil. Like there's no LeBron James of the Cirque du Soleil. Everybody just comes to work as one unit and 
there's nobody that stands out. They're just all phenomenal at what they do. And being the founder and CEO of my company, I, I like that. It's like, we're all the same. And I know like <laughs> the end of the day, we're not all the same because my responsibilities are different than the next person's. But at least if you behave that way, you'll see what happens to your culture, right? I always tell our team, like if Sophie and I come into our restaurants, you serve us last, right? You don't, don't make sure that you serve guests first. We get served last, right? That humility, which was a core value at Honeycomb, really matters to me. And I couldn't imagine, I hope I never become this way, but I could never imagine being like an arrogant leader or somebody that forgets who brought me here. And it's generally the team. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into my next thought because I personally have found that with hiring and being that leader, it can be a hard place to be, especially if you're like a super friendly person and just like want to get to know people on a, like a more personal level too. I think that's important. But at the same time, I've found that, and I've talked to friends who have found this too, that when they're leading, it's such a hard boundary to create from being that leader and the boss, and then also being that friend slash person that almost like boundaries start to disintegrate because they're getting closer to each other, like type of thing. Do you, is that if I'm explaining that wrong? Yeah, no, I get it. And I've thought about this a lot. And you can still be people's friend, but everybody needs to know what the objective is. I didn't start a company for friends. If we grow to become friends and care for each other, perfect. I started a company to build something and perform. And you can still be a kind person. But when push comes to shove, when performance is needed, how are you going to show up? Are you still going to be that like, oh, it's okay. You missed your KPIs for three weeks in a row. It's okay. You'll pick it up. Tone matters. I'm not saying you need to yell. I'm not a fan of yelling. Does it have to be stern? Stern can be subjective. It just has to be clear. Like you're a part of this team and you need to perform. Yeah. And also, you know, how you deliver a message as well. Right. I had to deliver a message to an underperforming team member in New York. And I sat him down and said, I have to share a message with you and it's probably going to sting you, but know it's coming from a good place and I'm being honest. So when you deliver it, when you start this way, generally the individual's guard is going to come down because they don't see you as a threat. Whereas if you take a different approach where it's like shouting or yelling or trying to puff your chest, they see you as a threat. So immediately they're going to put their guard up. And when their guard is up, they're not listening to you. You know that saying, listen to understand, don't listen to respond. And when somebody's listening to respond, it's typically because they have their guard up because they see you as a threat. Whereas if you deliver the message and bring their guard down, it doesn't have to be with like roses in your hand and a big smile. It just, it doesn't have to cut deep. It just has to be direct, clear, and honest. Yeah. So when you first started getting into hiring your team and everything, I were there aspects that you had to really work through to get used to 
letting them know that they need to work a little harder or any of those things. Those like harder conversations and you work through stuff to do that because I also know that's when you let it slip like three times, four times, you're just kicking yourself in the ass because it's just going to yeah. happen over and over. You're doing yourself a massive disservice because you're just kicking the can down the road. I actually used to be conflict averse when I was in like my mid 20s. I didn't like conflict at all. Now, please know I don't go looking for conflict at all. But if I have to have a challenging conversation, I'm going to have it because it just amplifies the more and more you ignore it. So I'd rather get ahead of it and have it the harder conversation quickly. Now, with that being said, though, Often, sometimes when you're leading and managing people, don't be too preemptive with your feedback and your coaching if there isn't a history of that poor behavior. So if somebody did something one time, I don't think it's fair to just write them off and have to pull them aside and say, hey, I need to talk to you about this. Observe, if that thing is happening three or four times and it isn't mission critical, like nothing's being super, it's not very harmful. You need to gather your evidence. Three or four times actually is probably too much. If the same behavior happens twice, maybe three times, okay, now you have enough evidence to be able to have the conversation. So if Mel, let's say you reported into me and there was this behavior that I wanted to coach you on, I need to be able to bring Mel to that place in time. So we're like, hey, Mel, last Tuesday, do you remember when you were in the lunchroom and uh, or whatever the case might be? Or, hey, Mel, remember last Wednesday when we were on that email thread with that client? Okay, yeah, I remember that. Okay, here's, and then bring it up. So you really do have to contextualize it. Sophia is pretty good at doing this. She'll ask for like, when I give feedback, ask for evidence. Yeah. And at first, I would think it's, oh, she's trying to discredit me. No, she's just trying to place herself so she can reflect on like, why did I say that thing? Don't be shy to have the conversations. If you are a leader, you signed up for the top job, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you signed up for all of the responsibilities. So don't be surprised when they get presented to you. Oh, 100%. I could not agree more. You you know a little bit of my track record with managing and it's just been a lot of learning curves I find. So well, for everybody, yeah. I, I thought when I was first learning leadership in my 20s, I thought it was cool if you've ever heard the expression shoot from the hip, right? So just, no, it's not cool at all. You're a jerk when you do that, right? So it's twists and turns and there's leadership books you can read. There's leadership podcasts you can listen to and there's people that have done it before. So I was very thankful that I, my first mentor was when I was 22, I believe. His name is Patrick Lewis. And now he is the, he's the vice president, actually vice president of, of uh, Majuri. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he actually grew me at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I'm still friends with him to this day. And I, I joked with him. I was like, I probably gave you like a dozen reasons to fire me. He was like, yeah, you did. And I said, why didn't you? And he said, because I saw something in you and it's my responsibility to groom more leaders. And that really resonated with me because it is, right? When, you know, Mel, you probably get this. You probably get a lot of DMs for people wanting to pick your brain. Mm -hmm. Book, can I take you for a coffee? And I get that a lot. And 
I can't do it all, right? There's a power in saying no to have time for me, my fiance, my dog, and my family, and many other things. However, I do reserve 30 minutes a week to be able to coach people who may want my assistance. Because guess what I was doing when I was 22? I was sending those DMs as well. Totally. It's hypocritical to be like, because I, when you were the one sending the DMs and you got deflated when somebody would like ignore you, you're like, oh man, like I really wanted to get in touch with this person. So like, I have a hard time saying no, but I know that I need to, but at the very least 30 minutes a week, every week. Oh, I really like that. Cause I'm at the same thing. Like I'm personally getting those DMs, but at the same time, I'm still wanting to learn. And I don't I never want to cut that down, that pathway off to maybe. Yeah. So karmic energy too. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I also love the point that he said about he's his responsibility is to make other leaders too, because I find that there's a lot of cop outs out there saying they didn't work out and they just weren't good at their job. They didn't have the skill set, all that. I personally find, especially in a skill-based industry such as design, I mean, there's a lot of aspects where you just have to have the eye and everything like that. But even in restaurants or if they have those core personality types that you hired for and were searching for, then I believe that it's on you for coaching them and giving them the tools to actually do the job correctly. So would you give any advice on if there's a new team member, maybe it's an onboarding packet or any tips for a founder that they can set up their first employee for success? Yeah, there is a lot. I told you the job description is the most underutilized asset. I would probably say number two is the organization of onboarding new team members. So if you're hiring subcontractors, let's say, or an employee, it's still an experience for them, right? So a subcontractor could see you as a new client. That's exciting. A new employee is joining a new company. That's exciting. But yet we do it in such a rudimentary way without any feeling or emotion. Do you remember the $20 gift? I still talk about about that to people. It's still working. I'm still using it. It's so good. I, I, if anybody's interested, just type in my first and last name and $20 interview question and something on YouTube or somewhere will pop up. You want your team members or your subcontractor to be organized, right? Everybody's who would say no. But yet when we hire people, we're disorganized. And what type of message does that send? I need you to be organized, but not me. It's not right. It doesn't set the tone, right? But what about on the emotional side too? Make them feel stuff. Like the $20 interview question was rooted in helping people understand how to create an experience that they've never seen before. In this case, it would be for a new team member, but it could be It's just setting the tone from the beginning of how you want your organization to behave. And it has to start with you, right? From the organization. One thing that we do, Brass Approving Kitchen, is that it took us a while, right? So you don't need to do it in this robust of a fashion to when you're starting. But we have something called a learning path. 
and within that learning path are learning outcomes. So let's say Mel starts as a team member at one of our stores at Queen and John in Toronto. She's going to start on a Tuesday, let's say. All right, here's your learning schedule, which we send to you before you arrive. We'll send it to you via email like a couple days before. It'll be like on Tuesday from 9 to 9.45, we're going to teach you food and safety. From 9.45 to 10.30, we're going to teach you Y and X and so forth, right? So those are the learning outcomes. And then the learning path is the whole structure. Now, if you're hiring your first team member, you can just do it on a one pager, right? Maybe maybe the first, if you have a remote team, maybe the first 30 minutes is like, we're going to have a coffee together, right? Yeah. Something like that. Simple, simple. And I wish I would take my own advice. Don't over-engineer it. I am the worst at over-engineering things and not just getting started. It's something that I definitely have to work on. But just start with something. And then every quarter, just refine it. Make it better. Right? So what I do is that every, at the beginning of the year, I will pick one day a quarter. And it will be for half day. So let's say it's February 23rd from 12 to 4. I will block off time. So I know it's on my calendar a month and a half in advance. And it'll say refine interview questions. And then in April 27th, same thing. So you know, what gets scheduled gets done is something that I learned early in my career. Like I, if something was to happen to my Google calendar, it would be done. I would just be like, all right, this life's not for me anymore. No, I would just be in such disarray, right? So what gets scheduled gets done. But going back to your to the main discussion item there, be organized and make it memorable. I wanted to go back to really quickly with the an experience that we had that it, it just showcases this, the $20 gift and like making it memorable is like that feeling where if any, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but when we were opening up Petty Cash the yeah. first day, there's about 30 of us sitting in borrow. None of us knew each other. Yeah. Some of us knew each other. We're all sitting in rows and a little nervous, all that. <laughs> and I forget who it was. Maybe it was Dirk, but he's look under your seat and then everybody pulls out that gift where it's a $20 gift and it's mm -hmm. so personalized. And the feeling yeah. in the room was insane. And then it brought everybody together. Everybody's wondering, what did you get? What did you get? And then you're learning a little bit of, about everybody. I just remember like looking back and some people had chocolate, somebody had a box of cigarettes. Somebody, it's so personalized, but it made it so fun. And I think that really showcases, again, going back to those core values, like celebrating the people that you have within the company is so important. Yes, it really is. And I don't know how many of maybe there's 20 of you let's just estimate yeah and the goal is it's 20 bucks right so 20 times 20 is 400 bucks 400 dollars to have an engaged workforce of 20 people uh give me that bill i'll pay that bill look mm -hmm. we're still talking about it that was in 2018 yeah and i'm still doing it because it works yeah and like even going on the other side i have taken that idea and now I don't, I'm not hiring a ton of people all the time, but I've turned it into a way where I can wow my clients in a different yeah. way. 
showcasing that. And so like before our strategy session, it's like a two hour tedious getting to know everything, going through all these questions. So I get my assistant to do some digging on where they're from and what the, like the cool coffee shops are in the area or something that really resonates with their brand. And we send them a gift card for that because it's all in online. If it was in person, we would do something in person. But no, it still works, right? Like, yeah. It works. And like based on the sentiment from the person receiving it, right? Totally. Was, yeah. And I don't love like ripping off and duplicating all the time because it stops invention. But if you know something's working, like you took that from the $20 gift and kind of put your own spin on it, right? So find sources of inspiration from other companies or other individuals. And there's not a lot of shame in just being like, hey, I'm going to do that too. But put your own spin on it so it makes it yours. And there you go. So just one thing that I usually, when I'm trying to ideate better experiences for team members and company culture, I don't look at other restaurants. I actually look at neighboring industries and competing industries and be like, how could I do what Wealth Simple is doing, but in hospitality, for example, right? So, and that just comes with being curious. I just always looking around, listening to a podcast or whichever way you want to find your ways to, to innovate. Totally. I could not agree more. I tell people do that every single time they bring up TikTok. I'm like, stop looking at the people that you're supposed to be following and go find right. some people that are doing some cool things. Yesterday, I literally saw a Delta Airlines video that was genius. And I'm like, I'm going to follow them because they're going to give me some spark, some inspiration for cool content because they're just creative. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I think I pitched you on a 30 minute podcast and we're coming <laughs> up to 45 minutes. So I want to be respectful of your time. I would love to ask you some quick rapid fire, like first thing Please. that comes to your mind to end it off. Yes, let's do it. I like this. Okay. So to start it off, is there a brand or somebody, a creator, a person or a brand that is doing it exceptionally well online right now, showing up in, on social media or anything? We talked about this road, Haley Bieber's road. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, so I, you know, I, it's, I'm not the target audience, but I know good marketing when I see it. And that's just phenomenal. I don't want to say Nike because that's just too easy, but I do love Nike, but road. And then this company called Lala Kind Cafe. Oh yeah. They're phenomenal. Yeah. That's actually one of the gift cards that I just sent one of my no clients. No way. Yeah. yeah. I came across them somehow, some way, maybe on my Explore page. And I had, to do a, I had to do a second take. I was like, what's this? Who's ever doing their media is doing a phenomenal job. Yeah. I don't know if you've come across this brand yet, but I stumbled across them. Actually, my assistant showed me. It's called Rochambeau Club. No. And I think you're going to do a deep dive into it and be like, this is so wild. But basically, it's a rosé brand that has turned into the new Soho house. It's basically like this high-end club that is just one spot. And there's racket, there's like a racket club, golf, and all of that. And then it's just turned into this full-on lifestyle brand. It's so cool. That's cool. Yeah, I would just road Lala Kind Cafe. There's a lot. There's a okay. lot. All right. And so what's a non-negotiable habit that you've built for yourself to show up as a better you? Oh, 
Fridays at four o'clock. So today at four, from four to five, four to five thirty. Pardon me. It's on my calendar every single Friday for infinity as a recurring meeting on my calendar, and I do that to plan my week. Now, not just work stuff. I actually plan my health stuff first. So I got to figure out, okay, when I'm going to work out next week. All right, I'm going to go here and here these days. When am I going to take Sophie on a date? All right, this day. When am I going to take the dog for a walk? This day. When am I going to call my mom? It, it doesn't mm -hmm. get that, that. It does actually get that granular, actually. But again, what gets scheduled gets done. And I know it doesn't sound all too glamorous, but it's true. That's how I'm able to show up. And notice how I always focus on my health stuff before the work because at the end of the day, I'm, I wasn't born founder and CEO, right? I'm a human being that has family and friends that need more attention than my career. 100%. I love that. Okay. And then last one, what is next for Brasa and what are you most excited about? I'm excited for New York. We have grown a little bit in Toronto. I've always wanted to live in New York. I like a good challenge and I find myself to become disengaged when things come easy to me. And I'm not saying that Toronto for Brasso was easy by any means, but New York is just like one of those like opportune, it's an opportune time for me to move here. And hopefully we'll be living here by the end of 2023. Exciting. I have no doubt in my mind that'll happen. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. This was a pleasure. As I said, selfishly, this helps so much. So I think that a lot of people are going to get a ton out of this. If you want to leave where to find Brasa, where to find you, where to find your book, everything like that, feel free to shout it all out. Yeah. So my parents blessed and cursed me with my unique name. So you can find, <laughs> so it's M-I-C-H-E-L and Falcon like the bird. If you throw it into Google search or whichever search engine you use, you'll find me somewhere. And Brassa Peridian Kitchen is, there are three locations, Queen and John, Bloor West Village, and First Canadian Place. And it's at Brassa Peruvian on Instagram and TikTok. Amazing. And I feel like we could go into a whole different episode on just like the Brassa kitchen in general for the, all the health benefits and all that. Cause I know that there's a ton of info that goes into you guys formulating all the recipes and everything, but you for bet. another day, <laughs> time, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hold you to that. Awesome. Okay. Thank you again, Michelle. It was so great chatting. My pleasure.